our loving Heavenly Father. You have spoken these words through your chosen servants years and years ago. Now we repeat them, Lord, but we humbly pray for the amplification of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to the book of Kings, chapter, I mean, first Kings, chapter 21. First Kings, chapter 21. And in verse 14, we read, First Kings 21, verse 14. Naboth has been stoned and is dead. Now, these are the words that the elders and the noblemen sent to Jezebel. I honestly question the nobility of this body. Because what did they do? Previously, Jezebel sent a letter to them, sealed with the king's seal, that have a feast or fast, seat Naboth at an honorable place and put two sons of Belial in front of him and then let them accuse him of blaspheming the God of Israel and the King of Israel. And the man did exactly This was a setup by the elders and the city council and leadership. And they sent the word to Jezebel. Naboth has been stoned and is dead. Then Ahab went down and tried to possess The vineyard. Now, I am telling you an old story, but there is a tremendous lesson in this old story. A tremendous relevance. And then came the word of the Lord to Elijah. And that word said, go down to Jezreel and speak to the king. Now, chapter 21, and I read from verse 18. First Kings 21, and I begin to read verse 18 and down. Arise, go down to meet Ahab, the king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth. 
where he has gone down to take possession of it. Now, let's stop for a moment. Now, brethren, if we read the book of Moses, uh, nobody could permanently sell his inheritance. You know, every 50th year, when the trumpet was sound, everything was returned to the original owner. And the Lord said in the book of Moses, hey, the lands are mine. You are only stewards. We have studied in the Sabbath school lesson today about stewardship. You are only stewards. The lands are mine. You cannot sell it permanently. And if you sell because of poverty or whatever else, that land has to return to the original owner. A neighbor didn't want to sell his inheritance. And you remember the king became depressed, went to bed, almost crying like a baby. And his wife said, what's the matter with you, honey? At least she was interested in his mood. I don't have that wife anymore. I wish I had. Because she gave good support. But the husband told her, you know, I wanted to buy that. But he wouldn't sell. And she says, who is the king in Israel? I will take care of it. And wrote a letter, sealed it with the king's seal. And the elders and the nobles of Jezreel did exactly what Jezebel told them to do. Terrible thing. Where was their integrity? Where was their loyalty to the God of heaven, to the God of Israel, that you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor? One of the Ten Commandments, is that right? Oh, if, if, some of the senators downtown Washington, D.C. would remember this commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do you listen to some of the investigation? This man lied. That man lied. This prominent lies. I mean, lie follows lie, follows lies in Washington, D.C. I'm sorry to say, it's, it's, it's criminal. What's going on? It's nothing new under heaven, you know. They have done this long before. They just repeat. Maybe they learned it from the Bible. Taking the wrong example. You follow me? The wrong. Don't you dare to do that. So the word of the Lord came to him. Let me read again verse 18. Arise, go down to meet Ahab, the king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? 
And you shall speak to him again, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood. I'm not going to read the rest of the story. It's, it's quite a prediction against the whole dynasty foretelling that hey, you are predestined with your children and grandchildren and all the family to be killed. And then the last sentence there, the dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. So a very serious prophecy against the king and against the queen and against the entire family. Now, <clears throat> I have been reading and rereading about 12 chapters chapter 21 and chapter 22 in 1st Kings. So the last two chapters in 1st Kings. And the next 10 chapters in 2nd Kings because it deals with the same topic indirectly sometimes, but it is related to the same prophecy. So I read about 12 chapters. I promise I will not preach all 12 chapters because it wouldn't be fair. Uh, you probably had an early breakfast and your blood sugar goes down and so does mine. And if yours go down, okay, but if mine goes down, I'm in real trouble. I have difficulty sometimes to get up. But there is much relevance in these 12 chapters. In chapter 22, the king of Israel and the king of Judah meet and the king of Israel asked the king of Judah, will you come with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead, or rather the king of Syria, to take back the city? And the king of Israel, uh, Judah says, of course, I will go. And then he calls his prophets, 400 prophets. And the king of Israel, Ahab, asked them, shall we go? Shall we prosper? Shall we win? And all 400 there's go. The Lord will bless you and you come back as a conqueror. But Josaphat, the king of Judah, just was not satisfied with those 400 prophets. It's not always the majority 
It's the integrity of the man. And Josephus asked, isn't there a prophet of the Lord here? And Ahab says, yes, but I hate him. I hate him because he always predicts evil for me. I, I don't like him. I don't want even to listen to him. Joseph says, no, no, let's not do that. Call him. So, Micaiah is called in chapter 22. And it's very interesting. I'm not going to, into detail because I have... I have 11 chapters to cover, so you understand. I just have to summarize it. But Micaiah Micaiah says, uh, you will lose. You will lose. But the high point of that story is that Micaiah has a vision of the sanctuary the heavenly sanctuary. He sees the throne of God, angels on the right, angels on the left, sees a discussion there. Now remember, before the crucifixion of Christ, evil spirits or fallen angels were still allowed to return to the heavenly court, not after the crucifixion. You you understand this? Is this clear? Before the crucifixion, in spite that they were cast out, they still were able to return to the heavenly court as visitors, not after the crucifixion. So, Micaiah says, I have seen the defeat of Israel. And the Lord asked, now how will you deceive? How will you deceive? Achab. And he says, I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. One of the false prophets goes over there, slaps him on the face. He says, did the spirit depart from me? He says, yes. You have a lying spirit. So the king orders the prophet to be imprisoned. He says, just give him bread and water. Until I come back victorious. And Micaiah says, no, no. If you come back victorious, the Lord has not spoken through me. Now, the character of these king is, or these two kings is revealed. As they go into battle. Acherb says, I will take off my kingly garment. I will disguise myself as an ordinary soldier. But you keep your kingly garment. And the Syrians gave the order, or the king of the Syrians gave the order, don't fight against anybody but the king of Israel. So, the Syrians see the royal robe but it is Jehoshaphat but they are after him because they think it's Ahab so he begin to shout and tell I am not Ahab I am not so they let him go but where is the king of Israel 
Ahab was willing to save himself at the expense of his friend who came to help him. Do you, do you get the character glitch here? But there was a Syrian, by divine providence, who just stretched his bow and let an arrow fly at random. At random, it hit the king of Israel between his armor where he could get in. And he told his chariot driver, get me out, I am wounded. So, at the evening he died, according to the words of Elijah. Now, please note this. The king died according to the words of Elijah. And all 400 prophets proved to be false. Uh, Then his son became king, Ahaziah. And somehow the scripture tells us, 2 Kings, we go now to 2 Kings, chapter 1. Again, I just summarize the story. You, You know, you have 12 chapters to read to get the real message. I'm just trying to stir up your curiosity. So, Ahaziah rules, probably he drank more than seven up. Uh, probably some alcohol because the scripture says that he fell off from um, the balcony or the lattice and got hurt. Uh, he was bedridden. And in his sickness, he sends messengers to Baalzebub, the god of Akron. Asking Baalzebub or Baalzebub, shall I recover? Again, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. He says, go and meet the messengers and tell them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are inquiring from Baalzebub? You will not Get out of that bed. You will die. (coughs) So, the scripture says again, Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. Now, brethren, what I like to focus on, the word of man, the word of false prophets in contrast with the word of the Lord through his servants. And that's still an issue today. It is still an issue. It will be an issue until the very end. Whose word do we believe? It is a salvation issue, by the way. It's not just preference. It is a salvation issue. Now, 2 Kings chapter 2, one of the most beautiful chapters describing 
Elijah being taken to heaven. You know the story, you read the story, but I like to call attention to to something that you may not have seen. On the day, remember, and I'm just refreshing your memory, on the day, remember, Elijah and Elisha walked together. Before Elijah was taken up, they walked together. Elijah told Elisha, stay here. And she, he says, no, no, I, as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. So, Second Kings chapter 2, verse 3. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 3. The sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master today? And Elisha says, yes, I know, keep quiet, I know. But please, what is the significance of this episode? The sons of the prophets who were students in a missionary academy or college, whatever we call it, an institute established by Samuel many, many, many years ago. They knew what was going to happen. It was not a secret rapture. Have you heard about the secret rapture? It's a very, very popular, very prominent theological interpretation of eschatology or last day events. But it is false. Okay, they come... They walk together again. Second Kings 2, verse 5. Second Kings 2, verse 5. The sons of the prophet, and please note plural, the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master today? And the answer, is, the question is the same. The answer is the same. Of course I know. Of course I know. Now, brethren, those students could have been several hundreds. I don't know how many. A good number. And it had been revealed to them by the spirit of prophecy had been revealed to them that one of the most glorious events will take place in Israel, Elijah will be taken to heaven. <clears throat> no secret rapture. No secret rapture. But it was the Lord's chose, uh, choosing to whom to reveal and when to reveal. But did he reveal it? My, the students knew in both cities. And they asked Elisha. And Elisha says, I know. So it 
was revealed. Now, if you read one of my favorite books, I gave a complimentary copy to Ron. I, I will remind you a couple of times that you promote this book because that's my favorite prophecy book, Great Controversy, and especially this illustrated one. But if you read that book, we can read in that book that during the time of trouble, during the seven last plagues, God's voice will reveal the exact day of the coming of the Lord. And not everybody, the unbelieving world will not know it. And the Lord doesn't want to let them know. They didn't care about Jesus before. Why would he tell them they don't care for him anyhow? But the sealed one, the genuines will know the exact day of the second coming. No secret rapture. Now, there is another incident here that I think you need to pay attention to. <clears throat> when uh, Elisha, now, I am tempted to tell you the confirmation of his office, how the mantle of Elijah falls down as he comes back with the same mantle, hits the Jordan again. The Jordan divides. And the sons of the prophets are witnesses. Witnesses that the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. It's very important. It's very important. Ah, but sons of Belial, rascal children who've never been disciplined, I don't know whom to blame it on, fathers or mothers or grandparents. We grandparents sometimes spoil our grandchildren. I didn't say that, all right? <clears throat> But these kids came to Elijah and mockingly said, go up, bald head, go up, bald head. They ridiculed him. Shortly after, a double measure of the Holy Spirit descended on Elijah, whose service was needed more than ever. But where did this where did this happen, brethren? Bethel. Now, what is significant about Bethel? There, historically, I am not going to list all the events that attaches itself to the history of Bethel, but only two things. One of the golden calf was built there. You remember? And one of the schools that Samuel established was there. So a holy influence from the schools of the prophets and an unholy influence from those 
who worship the golden calf. The conflict between true worship and false worship, between the true spirit and the deceptive spirit. Elisha cursed them. Two female bears came out and killed 42 of the children. 42. You read in the spirit of prophecy, from that day on, listen to this carefully, from that day on, no one dared to ridicule Elisha. It was necessary, brethren. It was necessary. Now, I will just run over some of the miracles of Elijah, but there is so much comfort, so much inspiration. I could reread, and I do reread those stories, and every time I reread, I enjoy it. Sometimes even brings a little tear. You know, when you get old, you get more emotional, they say. So I am in that category now. <clears throat> the story, <clears throat> the increase of the widow's oil. I think we have to read the first verses. This is so beautiful, so touching, so relevant. Second Kings, chapter 4, Second Kings, chapter 4, and I begin with verse 1. 2 Kings 4, verse 1 and on. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. Now this was a believing woman. Not just ordinary somebody. A believing woman. Cried out to Elisha saying, Your servant... My husband is dead. Do you get the point? The husband who died was Elisha's servant. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. It was not only that the wife claimed some credit for her husband to be a good believer, but she says, Elijah, you yourself knew my husband. What I am telling you, he was a genuine believer. But the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Do good believers run into difficulties? Difficulties that they don't know how to solve? How to remedy the problems? We are in it right now. <clears throat> and Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she says, you're maidservant. Now please note, these words are significant. She claimed to be 
his servant. Your maid servant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. You know the story. He tells her, collect all the containers you can. Close the door. Fill them. She follows the order. To her credit, brethren, it's always safe to follow divine order. In fact, that's the only safe course to follow. The word of a true prophet. Uh, He says, sell the oil, pay the creditors, and then what's left over, live from it. Brethren, do we Christians honor our own debts? Uh, Elijah told her, pay the creditors. I could tell you stories, but I, I choose not to. And church believers ignored debts one to another. You know, I don't care. You have enough money. You don't need my money. Lord, have mercy on us. The story of Naaman. Now you know he was a general of the king of Syria, but he was a leper. But there was a little slave girl in that household. And this is what she says. If only my master were in the prophet who were with the prophets, who is in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. And this little girl's testimony was so convincing that Naaman spoke to his own king, and the king wrote a letter to the king of Israel. He says, I am sending over my servant with gift. Heal him of leprosy. When the king of Israel read that letter, he tore his clothes. Oh, he says, he's looking for cause to have a fight. And Elijah says, Elisha says, why didn't you send it? Why don't you send him to me? That he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Confirming the face of that little girl. Brethren, you will be surprised how the Lord confirms your testimony somewhere else. You may not even know, but if you speak the truth from your heart, the Lord will look to it that your testimony will be confirmed. Just like this little girl's testimony. (coughs) The tragic end The tragic end that Gehazi wanted to some gift for himself because 
You remember, Elisha refused to accept any payment. Was Elijah representing the gospel, the saving of our loving Heavenly Father as a free gift? That's the reason he did not accept anything. But Gehazi says, oh, this is a mistake. He ran after Naaman, lied, and ultimately ended up with his leprosy. But there is one statement there, one statement that is very relevant. And the question that Elisha asks, is this a time to gather vineyard and orchards and houses and gather wealth? The obvious answer was no. And that question comes to us. Again, is this a time to put the material things before the spiritual things? Much to learn. Uh, the miracle of the floating eggs, I love that story. I, I can't help when I read it. I just get inspired. I sometimes cry a little. <clears throat> the sons of the schools of the prophets say, our living quarters are not big enough. We have to build additional rooms. And then they say, we have to go out to the Jordan, cut down trees, beams, and build addition to our Residence hall, our dormitory. And ask Elisha if you will come with us. And he says, sure I will. And they work. And there is a junior or maybe a sophomore student begins to cry, alas, alas. The head X fell into the water. And, sir, it was a borrowed X. Now, what does Elijah do? Takes a little piece of branch, throws it in, and he says, go and pick it up. You know, it's one thing if you lose your own equipment, but when you lose somebody else's that you borrowed, it can be very bad. Now, I have to come briefly. I am only half through, uh, you know, four, uh, 12 chapters. <clears throat> 30 years passed, and uh, Let's go to that chapter, Second Kings chapter 9. I read the first three verses. Second Kings chapter 9, verses 1, 2, 3. Second Kings 
chapter 9, 1, 2, and 3. Now, this is about 30 years after Elijah spoke the original prophecy. And 11 chapters later. And Elijah the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets, a junior or maybe a sophomore student, or even a freshman, and said to him, get yourself ready, take this flask of oil in your hand, and go to Ramus Gilead. Now, when you arrive at the place, look there for Jehu, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up among his associates and take him to the inner room. Then take the flask of oil, pour it out on his head, and say, thus says the Lord. I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not delay. The young boy did exactly as he was told. Jehu was anointed and Jehu fulfilled the prophetic word that was originally given at the vineyard in Jezreel, at neighbor's, neighbor's vineyard, 30 years later. Uh, I have to cut this short. Jehu was a military man. He was a genius, a very smart general, but he did his job as a military man, not as a prophet. There was much cruelty there, much ugliness. If you remember cutting off the heads of the children, and making two piles at the gate of the city and other executions. So uh, just Jezebel and her family got back what they have done before. It was just payback time. So Jehu, Jehu comes to Jezreel and Jezebel looks out through the window. And she begins to blame him, call him names, you Zimri murderer of your Lord, and so on, and so on, and so on. Obviously, she learned that her son was murdered already by Jehu. <clears throat> Jehu does not argue with her, does not converse with her, speaks up to the window where she is, and ask the question, who is there with me? And there are two or three eunuchs up there. He says, throw her down. They throw her down. And uh, 
he drives his horse, tramples her underfoot to make sure that she dies. You know, just in case she fell, uh, the fall wasn't efficient enough to kill her, drives her horse over her, tramples her to death. <clears throat> you go home and you read it for yourself. I'm not going to read it. Then, I mean, this is the characteristic of Jehu. He goes in to eat and to drink. Now, can you put the two together? Can you put the two together? But then suddenly comes to his senses, oh, she was, she was a, a daughter of a king. Let's bury her. And when he sends his servants, they tell him, there is nothing left. The skull may be an arm. The dogs ate up Jezebel. And Jehu quotes again the words of Elijah. Now, I am at the end. Just listen, because the clincher comes now. This was all preparatory for what I need to say, what we need to learn from this dramatic experience. Second Kings, chapter 10, verse 30. Underline this, color it, Uh, so that when you open your Bible, you will jump into your eyes. 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 30. Underline it. And the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight, and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart. Your sons shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. So the Lord rewarded Jehu because Jehu carried out the judgment. Are you listening? Carried out the judgment. But there comes verse 31 that is a very sad report. Very sad. Let's read verse 31. But Jehu Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, <coughs> who made Israel sins. In other words, Jehu did not turn away from the golden calves that were at Bethel and the day. Now, brethren, it's, it's a very serious matter. Because worshiping at the golden calf is abomination. And you read Matthew 24 about the end of the world, and especially the United States in the context of that prophecy, that the abomination that brings desolation, you follow me? 
the abomination that brings desolation is when officially church and state will be united. Not Sunday law. Sunday law is part of that process, but the real issue is when church and state will be united officially and the church will use the state to enforce her doctrine. That's the abomination that brings desolation. But the worship of the calves was, or the golden calves, was an abomination. Israel went into captivity, the northern kingdom, 722, never returned from it. You follow me? Never returned from it. When the Holy Spirit will be withdrawn finally from the impenitent, they will be under the control of Satan. What happened in Jerusalem in 70 AD? Read the first chapter. Read the first chapter of Great Controversy. You have to reread it. will happen worldwide. So I am asking a very important question. Is the Holy Spirit only restraining us? Or is he recreating us? A very, very relevant question. Now, it's an important work. The Holy Spirit restrains the world today. But the Holy Spirit will be withdrawn because he wants to do more than just restrain. He wants to recreate. And those who are not willing to be recreated, he's not bothering any longer to restraining. If that's the way you want to go, go that way. I'd like to close with a story that you are so familiar, but it is a classical illustration. A classical illustration. And then finish with a quote. You remember, after the first victories of David as uh, one of the leading military men in Saul's army, when he came back, the ladies sang the compliment to him. You remember the compliment? Saul killed his thousands. Ah, but David killed his ten thousands. A big mistake. A big mistake. They have undone David. Because what was the response from Saul? Ah, they attribute to me only a thousand, but to him ten thousand. What else can he, what else can he expect but, but the throne? Now, David gave classical proof that he does not want to kill Saul. Two occasions, you remember? When he took the water container and when he went to the cave. But when an an evil spirit overtakes somebody, rational thinking is no longer available. 
that was the problem with Saul. The evidence was there that David does not want to kill him. But an evil spirit controlled him. So he determined, uh, the story is so beautiful. <clears throat> That's written in 1 Samuel 19, 24. 1 Samuel 19, 19 to 24. I'm not reading it. Just mark it down. 1 Samuel 19, 19 to 24. So David is running for his life. Saul is determined to kill him. So where does David run? He runs to Samuel. Ramah. So Saul learns about it, sends messengers, soldiers, bring David to me. But these messengers, as they reach the camp, the spirit descends on them, and they forget the order. They prophesy. Saul sends a second group of messengers. Bring David that I may kill him. When they reach the city, the Holy Spirit descends on them, and they prophesy. They ignore Saul's order. He sends a third group. He says, bring David that I may kill him. Same thing happens. The spirit descends on this group too. They forget the order. They prophesy. Now you have to read it in spirit of prophecy because it's beautiful. In the spirit of prophecy, Mrs. Mike tells us so beautifully that at this point, Saul is so furious that he makes up his mind, I am going there myself, and if I have to, I will kill David in the very presence of Samuel. Do you sense it? Ah, but the spirit descends on Saul too. Takes off his armor, his royal robe, and he lays there all day, all night, prophesying. And the proverb starts from that day on, is Saul also among the prophets? Of course not. But the spirit descended and restrained, restrained, but not recreated. Because as soon as the spirit left him, Saul hated David to the very end of his life. So my question that we have to ask ourselves, is the Holy Spirit only restraining us? Which is beneficial. I'm not saying it's not beneficial. But it is not sufficient. Is the Spirit restraining or is the Spirit recreating me? I close with a quote. Write it down. It's worth writing down. Love Unlimited. This book saved my life in my college day. I was in a college campus. I needed the Lord help right in the middle of holy people <clears throat> or unholy people. <clears throat> Love Unlimited. That's basically steps to Christ 
and mount of blessings in one value. But in the second, it's page 272. Write it down. Love Unlimited, page 272. And this is my last quote, honestly. Listen to it carefully. This is a clincher. Were it possible to force upon you with a hundredfold greater intensity the influence of the Spirit of God? Did you get it? Were it possible to force upon you with a hundredfold greater intensity the influence of the Spirit of God? It would not make you a Christian, a fit subject of heaven, the strongholds of Satan would not be broken. The will must be placed on the side of God voluntarily. It was placed on Saul as he arrived at Ramah, hundredfold stronger. But he was not a converted man, because the Holy Spirit permanently does not force his presence on anyone. He invites us, or accepts our invitation. Oh, I have much more to say, but I quit now. Thank you so much. Just... Interesting thoughts in closing. Uh, The earthly Jezebel was (coughs) executed by Jehu, who originally was a servant of the dynasty of Ahab. Is that correct? He served Ahab for many years. If you read Revelation 17, 1, 12 to 16, Revelation 17, 1, 12 to 16. The ten kings who serve the spiritual Jezebel will rebel against spiritual Jezebel. They burn her and they eat her flesh. Now, this is spiritual, symbolic. They they will not eat physically. But the history repeats itself. History repeats itself. So we have so much to learn. Reread the story. Meditate on it. It has relevance for tomorrow. Thank you again.